Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I'm praying the grace of God is on every dad as they lead their family in 2023. It's just uh, one of those things that we do need the grace of God, I think, to help us as as we parent. And I feel like I'm at a stage right now in my life with the kind of parenting that we've been doing is starting to become more evident. And as your kids get older, you start to see that this becomes reality. I think every parent probably knows that when when kids are born, they are born with a personality. Every parent said, amen. So, you know, they, they are born with personalities, but you're sowing into them and investing into them. And the hope is that one day some fruit will come from that. And I, I've actually had a few conversations recently where people said, oh, you know, just, you know, I caught your son doing something. What did you catch him doing? Praying for people. Geez, that's awesome, isn't it? You know, and, and so I, I caught your son praying for people, laying hands on him and praying for leaders. And I think that is so good. And I'm, I'm greatly encouraged that that's the thing that people catch my kids doing. Um, but I am because, you know, like it, it, when it comes to being a parent, the truth is, is that it's hard to be perfect and no one is ever perfect. I sometimes reflect on maybe the decisions that I've made as a parent and say, well, I don't know if that was really wise. Like, should I have really let my, my, my kids watch Predator? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I guess the jury's out on that this morning, but I do feel your sense of judgment. Thank you. And, you know, last night we actually had a, a family movie night. We watched I Am Legend. Um, Eliana wasn't there. If you haven't seen the movie, it's about the restoration of humanity through the blood. Okay, so if you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking Can I put that spin on it? I'm doing it anyway. So um, if you haven't seen I Am Legend, maybe don't take that as a great movie review. Maybe check it on IMDb first and then decide if you want to watch it. But sometimes, honestly, I, I feel like as a parent, I'm doing great. And then there are moments where I feel like, our kids are doomed. I don't know. Um, I, I hope that that, but so far, so good. Uh, they seem to be doing really, really well. But I, I know that, um, you know, and every parent does, once you have them, you can't give them back. So we have to learn how to be great parents. And we have to learn some of these things. It doesn't necessarily come automatically. One of the things that I've discovered about being a parent is that it's more about priorities than it is about perfection. Have you ever noticed that? It is more about priorities than it is about perfection. I don't know a person that thinks I'm a perfect parent. And if you do, we'll pray for that after the service. But, um, you know, the, the pressure of trying to be a perfect parent can be uh, quite crushing for, for some people. And maybe there are people even in the room today, you have a sense of regret about maybe some of the decisions that you've made. But, you know, if you are trying to be a perfect parent, I just want to let you know you're setting yourself up for failure. And the reason that you are is because Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's another way of saying every single person in this room has made a mistake. You know, we've sinned, we've, we've made mistakes in our life. And it would seem foolish to think that imperfect people could somehow become perfect parents. We are imperfect people. That's why we need the grace of God and we need the gospel of Jesus. Um, I, I think one of the most important things for, for us to learn about being a parent, and, and this is kind of a scary thing as well, is that more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. 
And I, I recognize that. You know, my, my mum used to say, do as I say and not as I do. That doesn't work, guys, <laughs> because you just do what you see your, your parents do. There's a, there's a culture that you create in your home, you know, and I, I'm very aware of that, hyper aware of it when I'm in a turning lane and there is one car in front of me and they refuse to take the gap that was provided to them to turn right and let the rest of the traffic through. In that moment, I'm hyper aware. And I say that as kind of a joke, but it's actually kind of true because it's not just the intentional moments of our lives that, that will create a culture in our home. It's some of those unintentional things too, isn't it? You know, just the things that you, you, you say when you don't think your kids are paying attention or your reaction or your response to something. I, I think we need to just be completely aware of that. Now, if you're here this morning and you're listening to this message and you think, look, I'm not even a dad. Um, I'm not even a parent. I don't think that this message is necessarily relevant for me. That's not true at all because what I'm talking about today is all about having the right priorities in life. And if you think as a single person, let's say you're here today and you're a teenager and you think, oh, I don't have to worry about this until I become a parent. That's where things go really wrong. Because I mean, I've seen people that are single and don't have the right priorities. And then when they get married, they just drag the wrong priorities into their marriage. And then they have children and they drag the wrong priorities into their parenting. And what I'm saying is, is it really doesn't matter who you are today. If it comes down to priorities, we've all got to make sure we get the heart stuff right as early as we can. Do you agree? So one of the things that we understand is that our hearts reveal our priorities. Our hearts reveal what's really important to us. You might even say ambition. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I know that people can look at ambition as something that is negative, but I I don't think it has to be. Uh, But it does reveal your heart. Uh, I think your heart reveals a lot about your relationship with your spouse. Your heart will reveal a lot about uh, your kind of relationship you have with your kids or how important that relationship is to you. I think your heart will reveal a lot about how important your relationship with God is. That's why the Scriptures always say to love the Lord with all of your, with all of your, because your heart has a lot to do with where you go in life. So we've got to make sure that our heart has the right priorities. Now, this can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing because your kids can know that you love them so much if you've got the right heart and it's directed towards them. But that's a double-sided coin. Sometimes they can see the other side of that. And so what I want to do today is read to you a story uh, out of the Old Testament. It's, it's an interesting story. I'll, I'll give you the background. It's about a guy called Jephthah. And Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. And as he began to grow up and, his, and he had brothers around him, they, they were not the sons of a prostitute. And they started to uh, separate him from the rest of his family. And ultimately, they decided that we don't want you to really be part of our family. Isn't that devastating? <laughs> that they wanted him to be removed from their family. So they, they, they sort of ran him out of their family, actually. It says that he went away and lived with worthless fellows, whoever they are. I feel sorry for them because this was written about them in Scripture. They are worth, I wonder if they knew that they were the worthless fellows that the Scriptures speak about. But in any case, uh, it says later on in the Scriptures, and you can see this, that the Ammonites came to fight against 
uh, this, this town and, and this village. And, and the Ammonites were, were positioned right between the Marmites and the Vegemites. And, and if, if you're wanting to find it on a map, so if you just Google Maps, you pull out your maps right now, just look up Vegemites and let me know if you get a hit. Um, anyway, the, these guys, they encamped against Israel. And the elders of the town, they said, look, do you know who we really need? We really need that guy, Jephthah. Let's get him back here. So they go to him and they say, hey, listen, would you come back? And he says, if I come back and I win, I'm coming back as your head. I'm coming back as your leader, okay? And they said, yeah, we, we accept that. So he's been offered a promotion. And he's this guy that's come from obscurity, like left out somewhere, you know, we're hanging out with worthless fellows to come back to town. And he's going to ascend above all of his brothers and he's going to be the head of that town. Does that make sense? All right, so this is where we pick up the story. Now, he has to win this battle with the Ammonites, okay? He has to win it. And so this is a, this is a big deal for him. And, and, and he says something that we're going to read because he's so passionate about getting this victory. We'll pick it up in chapter 11, verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. What a stupid thing to say. What did he think was going to come out of his house? Like when you get home from work, what comes out of your house? Whatever comes out of your house would you make this vow? No. This is what we would call a big mistake. This is a rash vow. And then we're going to pick up what happens next a couple verses later. Judges 11 verse 34. When Jephthah, or Je then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dancers. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low and have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Shocking. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He already had the Spirit of God with him. Why go and say something so foolish? Why risk and sacrifice whatever was going to walk out of your door? He already had the Spirit of the Lord. God is already for Israel. God is already for His people. And maybe He just thought, well, I just need an edge, so I'm willing to sacrifice whatever comes out from my house. I, I think this is shocking that someone would sacrifice anything that precious for some kind of victory. And even though we would all agree that that is true, the truly shocking part is how often we see people do this. Yeah. Of course, it looks different in different ways. People don't always necessarily sacrifice their family in this way, but they sacrifice their family in different ways. Maybe what they really need is a victory at work. So what do they do? Well, they sacrifice time with their kids, time with their spouse, time on the weekends. Whenever their kids try to come and talk to them, they're distracted and they're on their phone or they're at the dinner table, but they're actually looking at stocks and what's happening you know, in, in the marketplace and answering emails because they're so caught up in the victory that they think is the most important thing that they can get for their family. People do it in ministry too, guys. 
I mean, there would be many pastors and I would say leaders that have been so caught up in the very pursuit of ministry and the things of the kingdom that their families are on the wayside and, and, and sacrificed in some regard because it is so incredibly important to make sure that the church is doing well or my job is doing well. Or, you know, and, and what I'm saying to you right now is we need to understand what our real priorities are meant to be in life. This is called the altar of success. And I suggest to you that there would be many a family member that has been sacrificed on the altar of success, where suddenly jobs become more important than spouses. I'm telling you guys, it does happen. And it's really sad that it happens all the time. So what I think we need to do is to define what success really is. Because people tend to chase success. And if we don't define what it is or what's truly important, you could find yourself chasing the wrong priorities. And that's the last thing that we want to do. I read this story about this guy, Jephthah, and I try to get into the head of this guy to understand why would he say something so rash? Well, like I said before, he's ostracized by his family. He's out on the backside of nowhere and with worthless people. And he gets a, a, an opportunity, an invitation for a promotion if you are successful here, your whole life is going to change. And he knows that if he gets a promotion, you know, there's a better title, corner office, um, increased pay, all of the, like part of what I'm saying, like is in jest, but you can see where it might connect with the real day life of everyday Australians, yeah? Bigger office, better opportunities. And if I get all of that stuff, Stuff, then I'll be positioned well to look after my family. And isn't it so sad that for some people, in the pursuit of the things that they think are going to help them the most, they, they, they lose what they actually love the most. And it's a shocking reality, but it does happen. I don't know if this hits home. I, I, I can tell you right now as I read this story, God didn't want this for Jephthah. God didn't want this for Jephthah. In fact, a lot of the pagan nations were into human sacrifice, but not Israel. The Lord outlawed human sacrifice, which is why it is so outrageous that Jephthah would come and say something so foolish. You know, as Christian people, we are familiar with sacrifice. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our talent, our treasure. We give these things and we lay it down at the feet of the king because what we want to do is build the kingdom of God, extend the kingdom of God. We're familiar with what it really means to sacrifice. But can I just encourage you, the one thing that no one in this room is ever meant to do is to sacrifice their family into pursuit of those successes. I don't think God is asking anyone here to give up their role of being a parent or maybe being a spouse or, or whatever it is. He's not asking you to give that up in the pursuit of what you think success is. It's hard to define success sometimes. I know that in Jesus's day, it was a little bit easier than that. Jewish dads had six responsibilities that would be rolled out over their kid's lifetime. And sure, there would be things that they would have to do as good Jewish dads and parents love their kids and look after them. Sure, like the everyday things, but six things that were really important, they could tick the boxes on. I like lists. Lists are easy. When you do something, you tick it off, you know it's being completed. But, you know, for Jewish dads, they, they had three spiritual and, and three practical or physical things. 
The first spiritual thing that they had to do was circumcise their sons. I don't know what kind of training they do for this thing, but, but I, I do find it shocking that they didn't allow a professional to come and do it, but they said, well, let the dads have a go. <laughs> Honestly, I, I feel very uncomfortable about this, you know, but, you know, that, that's exactly what they did. If, to be honest, if I was a, if I was a, a Jewish woman married to a, a, a Jewish man and, and, we, and I was pregnant and we were going to have a baby, I would be getting my, my husband in the kitchen <laughs> making sure he can handle a blade. I'd get him cutting carrots before we progress to other more important things. Because if there's one area, you, you, you cut a carrot, that's not a problem. But there are other mistakes that you could make with a blade around this stuff. And it, it is touch and go there, I, I think, for, 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 you know, for some. So, so I would say you know, that that is a, a spiritual thing that a dad had to do. And it's very clear you either did it or you didn't do it. They did it. Uh, the other thing that the, that the dads would be involved in was a ceremony called the redemption of the firstborn. And that's probably its own message. But I would just say that actually points to the redemption of mankind through the gospel and through what Jesus Christ did. One man that redeemed the rest of us. And so they did that. And the other thing that the Jewish dads would do is that they would teach the Torah to their kids, which was a problem because, you know, dads aren't really readers. You know, I'm not really much of a reader, you know, but they actually had to be readers. Or, or, even, if, or even if they weren't readers, because they, they didn't all have Bibles like we have today, they had to know the Word of God. And so maybe you're not much of a, a, a reader, but I can, if I can encourage you, get to know the Word of God so that you've actually got something to impart into your kids. Is that all right? All right, so, so that was one of the three spiritual things. Here's the practical things that they would do. Find a wife for their sons. And I'm still good with that. What? Right. This is why we have a kids' ministry. It's all about arranged marriages, you know? You think Liam's in there, he's working for the parents trying to find out who fits with who. And I'm, I'm good with this because I think I'll make a great decision for my son. He's not feeling really crash hot about it, but I'm just saying if you have a, a, a daughter that's within five years of 14-year-old right now, right, just come speak to me during the week. We'll have lunch. We'll catch up, see what we can do. Is that all right? He's saying that's a no. It's a no from him. All right, so, so they would find a, a, a wife for their son. That was a very practical thing. They would teach them how to swim and they would teach them a trade. But my point is, is that success was defined. Like they knew exactly what it was. And so it would be easy to tick those things off. It is a little bit harder today. I don't know if you know this, and I have said it before, but I think it's good for us to remember that the reason that Father's Day was created, it was by the Coptic church in around the fifth century. And uh, the Catholic church actually picked it up in the 15th century and really ran with that. And the idea of Father's Day was to celebrate the influence that fathers had on society. That's nice. Dads, how much influence do you feel you have on society? Society. I think there might be a lot of dads that may even consider that they don't feel like they've got much influence on their family, let alone their society. And I'm not just making this stuff up. 
there's actually research that would suggest that there are lots of parents that feel exactly like this. There's an organisation by the name of One Hope and they did a study on families. They weren't just Christian families, but they took five Western nations being Australia, France, Germany, the UK and the USA. And they wanted to know the influence that parents would have on their families and or at least what parents, the kind of influence that parents thought that they had over their, over their kids. Make sense? And so a lot of research came out of this, but here's one of the things that was really impacting, if we can go to that first slide. Only one in three parents believe they have a tremendous amount of influence in their child's life. And remember, this is subjective, but parents didn't feel like, one third didn't feel like they had a tremendous amount of influence. Let's go to the next one. When it came to parental influence, this is one of the things that we see is that the older kids get, the less influence their parents seem to have. And there is a part of that that we understand and we, un we, we acknowledge that that's true. But if you look at, say, for example, age 10 to 13, 41% thought they had a tremendous amount, but there's, you know, there's nearly 60% of people that think, wow, like I've got some influence over my kid or not much influence over my kid, which means what? The influences are from outside of the family home. What are they from? Well, friends or, you know, today, if we think about social media or trends that are happening, things that we don't even sometimes even know about as parents. By the way, this is why it's great to get your kids involved in kids' church and youth, right? You know, when you, if you send your kids to youth, one of the best things that happens is we have someone, right, that's younger than you and dresses cooler than you, but says the same things as you would say. And for some reason, it sounds better from pastor as than it does from you, dad. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But that's one of the reasons why we have those ministries. You know why? Because it makes a huge amount of difference. We should be intentional about the kind of influence that, that, that our kids have. And what this tends to do is add a lot of pressure to parents. So let's just look at the next slide. What are the common pressures that parents felt? I reckon four, uh, five out of six of these are probably still pretty relevant. The first one was having three children and juggling attention between them all. Well, you might not have three kids, maybe you've only got one, but still even maintaining the attention of one, depending on their age, can be a bit of a challenge. The next one was making my child feel safe in the world with COVID and now with a war happening. Now, obviously we've moved past this point. This was in 2022. Some of those things are still an issue for some people, I, I guess. But look at the next point. It's, it's really one of the things that added pressure was the outside world. I think a lot of parents might feel that. Here's the next one down the bottom there. Left-wing indoctrination at school and in the media. Does any parent identify with that? Is that something a, a, a concern to you? The pressure or, uh, of fearing of not, doing, uh, of not doing badly, of doing badly or not enough. Like as a parent, you, it's very easy to feel like, oh man, am I, am I nailing this? Am I doing a great job? Just remember, you're not gonna be a perfect parent, but you can have the right priorities. And then the last one is feeling left out due to their entanglement in the cyber world. And I, and I understand, you know, like the, our, our kids are growing up in a world that many of us didn't grow up in. And, and so there's things that sometimes that kids are into that maybe you just don't understand and maybe not understanding that world. And I, I think that these are pressures that parents do face. That is a reality. Let's have a look at the next slide. 
the parents who struggled the most were in the study were the, the youngest parents and uh, age 20 to 29, that 41% said that they felt defeated, overwhelmed or anxious about their parenting. <laughs> What's interesting is that the older you get, the less you care. And, and you know, and I, I, I would suggest that even if you fall into the first bracket, you might feel that like that with your first kid. The first kid, you basically wrap in cotton wool. But by the third kid, you're like, you're fine. Suck it up, princess. You'll be right. You know, and, and, and you feel a lot more like this. The five second rule became a 10 second rule. Just eat it. You'll be fine. You know, and, and so, but, but young, the youngest parents say they stressed the most. They, they were anxious the most. And let's look at the last one. And this is really impacting to, to me. More than one in four parents are never talking to their child about faith, sexuality, gender identity, or race. More than one in four are not even talking about it. I don't even know if the, if the other three are doing a good job of it, um, but one in four are not even willing to discuss it or, or talk about it. And maybe the, there's a part, the reason for that is that they don't feel quite comfortable about speaking about these subjects. Even now, you're just reading the words and some of you are feeling anxious just reading some of those words. I wouldn't even know what to say. But I told you that when you become a parent, one of the things we have to do is, is learn some of these things and, and, and learn things so that we can talk to our kids about it because they're already going to be unpacking these topics. They can unpack it with you or their friends at school. I don't know. It depends. Or maybe just what they watch online. But here's the reason why parents stay silent. And I think this is really important. Uh, number one, they stay silent because of the, they're concerned about the child's response. What will they say if I tell them this? They, they're concerned that their kids will either feel rejection or that they'll receive rejection. And then finally, judgment. You know, they'll feel judged. And I think, you know, if you're here today and you're a teenager or, or, or single or maybe you're married, but you just don't have kids and you think, oh, well, this message, maybe it's not so relevant for me because, you know, I don't have kids. I, I beg to differ. And the reason would be was that I know, I know plenty of teenagers that might be able to say, I'm so worried about my friend making a poor decision with their life and they're worried about all the same stuff. The, the, the reasons why teenagers don't tell their, their other friends in school, hey, listen, you should, not you should think about not making a mistake like that. With you. I think you're, you're, you're moving into territory that is really dangerous for you is because they're concerned about the response, the rejection and the judgment. I know young adults that would feel the same thing. You could be a young adult and you see your friend moving into territory that is, you know, not good or not healthy. And you think, I really should say something, but I don't know whether I should because I'm concerned. What, what will they say? I don't want the, them to feel rejected or, or, or judged. And so what I'm suggesting to you guys is that as, as people, as human beings, we get what we go for. And if our priority in life is to be loved and uh, affirmed by everyone, then we may actually avoid some of these conversations. Because what's our real priority is that we want to make sure that we are okay and we're not, you know, we don't want to feel bad about things. But if we were to really honestly think about the kind of people that are in our lives and, and what we would want 
for them instead of thinking of ourselves. Maybe we'd engage with topics that are incredibly difficult and take tact and you have to be careful about your, how you word it. And it may even take a, an amount of research and forming a position, maybe forming a perspective. Why do I think that? Why, why do we hold that position? But once you've got that, you've actually got something worth imparting because what should be primarily the thing that we're focused on is not that I'm my kid's friend, but I'm my kid's father. And when parents make the mistakes of trying to be only friends, they're going to lose that battle. Oh, I just want to be my kid's friend. You know what your kid needs? They need you to be a parent. If you don't have kids you're, you're, and say you're here and you're a young adult or you're a teenager, fine. You know what your friend needs from you? For you to be a good friend. And sometimes that means that we have to say things that make us feel uncomfortable. I mean, you imagine it. Imagine if I, I go to the doctors and I take one of my kids there and uh, the doctor says, uh, hey, Ben, geez, we've seen you five times this week. Uh, what is it this time? And I say, oh, well, my son burned his hand on the hot plate. And he's like, you have come in for the last five days with the exact same issue. When are you going to tell him that that thing is hot and he shouldn't touch it? He'd be like, well, I feel really uncomfortable about it. Just didn't know how to bring it up. It's like, but don't you understand how much you're hurting him by not telling him the truth? You know, we've we got to understand that when we don't tell people the truth about things, it hurts them. And so we have to graduate to a place of maturity in our lives where we're willing to actually have the right conversations. We can bring that slide down now. Here's the truth, because a lot of the stuff that I spoke about just now, those truths are subjective, completely subjective. This is about what parents feel, not what's actually true. Because the research about what's actually true is that mum and dad are the two greatest influences on a kid's life. And they did a study and they asked a whole, it was thousands of Christians, hey, how did you become a Christian? Nearly 60% said, my parents were Christians. They instilled these things into me. And so I just lived them out of my life as well. Mom and dad, you have so much influence. And that kind of influence needs to be stewarded. I see it as an incredible opportunity to see the next generation do better and go further. But what's, what's my whole point? Well, my point is, if you've got the wrong goals, you're going to get the wrong outcome. So what we need to do is define what success really is. What does it really mean to be a successful parent? What does it mean to be a successful friend? That's such a weird thing to say. No one would say that. <laughs> but you understand the sentiment. What, is it, what does it look like when, you, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Because most people chase success. So let's define what it is. And if I was to ask a parent, like ask a room full of parents, hey, what do you think your priorities are as a parent? We might have a whole heap of different responses and answers. And, you know, maybe many of them would be very valid. But could I just submit to you today that maybe what we should do as parents, realizing that we are the recipients of what, you know, children that God gives to us, that's how we, that's how we look at it, that maybe we should ask God what He wants for our families. That's what my message is about today. God, what do you want for our families? Yeah? yeah? And I believe that the thing that God wants the most for our families is for us to have revival in our home. Yeah, the presence of God in our home. 
not to outsource that type of thing to that church environment and then go back home to that same stale environment that's, that could be in our homes. Let's not lowball. Let's not lowball it today. We're talking about future generations. We're talking about our kids. And what I'm saying to you is that I think God wants revival to be in our homes. Listen to this. I want to read a scripture to you out of Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I love that. Does anybody else love that scripture? I do. One generation will declare it to the next. Isn't it cool when as a generation, you've got your own stories, your own testimonies, your own things that God has led you through, brought you through, taught you about, so that when it comes to your kids, you're not giving them an education in ancient history, but you're saying there is a very real and present God that did things in my life and I swear He can do it in your life too. Does that make sense? One generation shall declare what God can do, not just from the Word, but from our own encounters with God. There's a relationship between what one generation says and what the next says. Look at how it goes on. It says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Then looks what happens next. They shall speak of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Can you see that there is a connection between the I and the they? When I live a certain way, they say certain things. When I uh, express my faith and declare who God is and meditate on His Word, there's an impact on the next generation. There's a relationship between, listen, there is a relationship between your own personal passion for God and what you'll see replicated in your kids. There, there is. And what I'm not suggesting is that if you're, you know, maybe you're, you're in a season where you've been spiritually dry and I'm not saying that God can't come in and touch the lives of your kids. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying there's something in one generation that can be repeated in the next. There is a direct impact. Studies show it. The Word declares it. And if we get on board with it, we'll understand that our passion for God will directly impact our kids' passion for God's. But Pastor Ben, I don't have kids. That's cool. Your passion for God will directly influence your friend at school. Your passion for God will directly impact your friend at uni. Your passion for God will directly impact your friend at work. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm saying every single one of us has an amount of influence that I believe God expects us to steward. And we don't want to miss the opportunities that God brings to us because we in ourselves haven't cultivated a deep, passionate prayer life. Are you with me so far? Man, what does God want for our kids? Well, of course, you've got to do the practical stuff. Uh, You know, I am speaking about spiritual things. Of course, I think that that's very important that we have that. We want to make sure that we don't define success as only the practical things, but they are still a reality. Food. Shelter, PlayStation, the internet, very, guys, basic fundamental essentials for young people today. Of course, we have to provide these things to them. But imagine how sad it would be if as a parent, you thought that that was the only measure of success. What? I provided a home for you. I provided food for you. Man, I think about Jephthah. 
He must have been so motivated by winning that victory that he was willing to sacrifice the thing that he wasn't supposed to in pursuit of what he thought would bring him success. And he lost everything in the process. And if we define success as being rich, wealthy, and you know, we think, hey, now I'm really setting my kids up because one day when I die, I'll leave them an inheritance. Yeah, well, inheritance isn't just what you leave for them. It is partially what you leave in them. What are you leaving in them? What, what, what kind of spiritual uh, things are you imparting into your kids? You know, if you read the New Testament, one of the things that we see over and over and over again is this thing called impartation. I've got to have something to give something away. I've got to have it. If, if I don't have it, I can't give it. Peter, Peter said, silver, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have, I give to you. Have you got something to give away to your friend? Have you got something to give away to the, the next generation? Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Good, because you're very quiet and I'm not sure why. Hey, make sure you're chasing the right stuff. Amen. You're the priests of your own home. You get what I'm saying, don't you? You know, in your own home, there's no, there's no leader that's going to walk in and, and pray with your family on Monday night. I mean, you could invite us, but you know. It's probably better if you learn how to do it yourself. You're the priest of your own home. You know, here's the truth. You can actually ask someone else to pray for you, but you can't delegate the responsibility of a parent praying for their child. There's something that happens there. I remember even, a, you know, I would always pray and read my Bible, even when my kids were little, with the door open. Because I thought if, if they're going to, I want them to catch me praying with God. Because that is important to me. And I, I wanted them to realise this is a part of who we are as God's people. I wanted, to, I wanted them to see it. You know, you, you, can't, you can't take your, your kids and just give them to kids men and hope that they'll take care of the spiritual stuff in life. The, the kids men have got enough on their plate with arranging marriages. They don't need... They don't need the added pressure of being the role that you're meant to have, you know. Pastor As is no doubt going to be a great dad. He's sitting in the back holding his baby right now, you know. But he can't be a parent to all of the teenagers in the church. He can be a great support. He's leading a great ministry. He's going to impart truth and wisdom and say what you say, but he dresses cooler. He's going to do all of those things, right? But at the end of the day, you can't outsource the parenting and spiritual development to someone else saying, hey, that's your job. No, 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 no. That's your job as parents. If you're a friend to someone that's going through a hard time, God has positioned you there to speak to them and to speak into their lives. We've got to understand these things. There's a pattern that I've seen happen in the lives of people. And listen, by the way, if you fall into this pattern, I don't want you to feel judged. Because I mean that sincerely, because life happens, I understand that. But it's this pattern that happens. Sometimes kids are raised in church environments, but all that they're exposed to is maybe religion, rules or values. 
And consequently, they turn 18 and they think they go to uni and some philosopher says, hey, there's no such thing as God. And they actually listen to that, even though that person has been blinded by the God of this world and they have no idea about spiritual things because they're in a position of authority. People listen and say, you seem smart. They walk away from God. They walk away from church. Maybe they still believe in their heart, but their spiritual life goes right off a cliff. Trust me, the statistics are there to support everything that I'm saying. You watch what happens, 18, and then something bad often happens. I love that we have such a great and honestly thriving young adult ministry at this church. I think that that's awesome, but it doesn't happen everywhere all of the time. So what happens is, you know, guy meets girl, they fall in love, they decide to get married, let's have children. And then they have a baby and they think, you know, We should probably go back to church. Why? You know, the values. Because of the values. We want the values to be instilled in our kids. Really? I'm telling you, if we're hoping to, to bring our kids to just instill some values, I'll, I'll tell you right now, values, rules, and religion will never be enough to sustain that young person through the ups and downs of life. If what we're hoping is that we can make kids be better by exposing them to something spiritual with good Christian basics and, 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 and Christian values, I'm telling you right now, they walk away from that all the time. Do you know what we need to do with our kids? Are you ready? Position them for an encounter with the living God. That's what we need. That's what we need. Values. I see people walk away from values all the time. People join companies and they say, these are our corporate values. But when they quit their job, they quit those values. People will drop values, but you give them an encounter with the presence of the living God. You let them have their own encounters and their own moments. I can tell you, there are so many people that sit in church week after week after week, and it might be discouraging to me, but I say, what did I speak about four weeks ago? No one has any clue. But then you say to them, right, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? They'll say, oh, it was, uh, you know, earlier this year, it was May 13th. And I remember I was standing in this spot and the presence of God hit me and I felt funny all over. Encounters with God mark people. Why would we settle for values or religion? That's the worst. Give them some rules or some regulations. No, 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 no. Give them an encounter with God. How do we do that? Well, you, you know, obviously bring them to church, that helps, but guys, you can have encounters in your own home. You can lead people into the presence of God. What they really need is to be hungry for the presence of God. Why? Because, and if you're taking notes, write this down, encounters drive transformation at a soul level. And what we want our kids to say is not, yeah, I went to, I went to church and they taught me something, but they say, I went to church. I don't know what happened, but God hit me and I am changed at a soul level. I cannot unsee what I've seen. I cannot forget what I've encountered. And you, you watch anyone that has gone through encounter after encounter after encounter, no matter what some philosophy professor says at university, they will never talk them out of what they know is true. Don't go for values, go for encounter. Go for life transformation at a soul level. We, um, I was taking my kids to school just 
maybe two or three weeks ago. And we had uh, some people at our house, the concreters working in our driveway. And I, I left home and I had all the kids were just getting into the car. And I noticed one of the guys uh, really limping. He looked, looked like he was in a lot of pain. And it, super nice guy, really nice guy. I said, hey, I said, are you okay? And he said, oh, he said, I'm in so much pain. I said, what happened to you? He said, oh, well, he said, I was at work yesterday. He said, I stepped back into a ditch. Something landed on me and my knee popped out. I said, oh my gosh. I said, what did you do? You go to the doctors? He goes, nah, we thought well, maybe I'll pop it back into place and I'll go to bed. And when I wake up, I'll feel better. And I said, well, how's that going for you? He said, oh, I'm in agony. He said, he said, and I quote, I, I can't even really climb into the truck to get here today. He goes, I'm in so much pain. So there's me, my kids, the other concreter. And I said, hey, this might sound a bit strange to you, but is it okay if I pray for you? And he goes, yeah. And I said, can I lay my hands on you? Because that's how we do it. He said, yeah, that's okay. I just prayed a really simple prayer. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would completely heal his knee. I pray you restore it, make it like new. In Jesus' name, amen completely healed, like totally, completely and utterly healed. He went from being able to lift his, his foot about that far off the ground. Again, this is, what, this is how it went down. He went, what did, what did you do to me, right? I said, honestly, mate, I said, it wasn't me. I said, I, I mean this. I said, it was Jesus. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. But you did it. Like, yeah, he did it, but you did it, you know. And, and he goes, what did, what, what did you do? And he starts lifting his leg and he goes, this is unbelievable. He goes, I couldn't even do this. He starts lifting his, like his knee up to his chest. He's like, this, this is amazing. I, I looked at the other guy and, and he's looking at me and I guess everyone's kind of like, okay, this just happened, you know. It's pretty awesome. And I said, listen, I, I'd love to invite you to church. And he said, well, he said, uh, um, my family and I, we've just moved. We don't even know if there's any churches in the area. I said, oh, okay, where did you move to? And he said, Knoxfield. I said, oh, I said, well, so we got a church in Montana South. We're just on Lewis Road. He goes, oh, I live just off Lewis Road, actually. I said, oh, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> think God's got a plan for you, mate. I think God has actually set you up. He didn't pop your knee out, but he's done everything else to bring you back into the house of God. And I'm telling you, so anyway, I thought that was cool. We jump in the car, take the kids to school. And uh, I said to the kids, I'm, I actually am feeling pretty chuffed at this point. I look back at the kids and I, I said, hey, well, that was pretty cool, wasn't it, guys? And they're like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, guys, like I, I know that we come to expect this stuff, but it was still pretty cool, wasn't it? And they're like, yeah, no, dad, it is. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And I had this moment and I thought, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that is what we're going for, isn't it? I guess that's what we're going for. We're going for the kind of lives where kids are so exposed to encounter moments with God that it's kind of like par for the course. You know, I did tell them they could still get excited, you know, but, 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 but yeah, I, I do want that. 
That's exactly what I want. I want my kids to see the presence of God on move so regularly. I want them to know that the God that we serve is the God that heals, that touches, that restores, that redeems, that does incredible things. Because I know that if I expose my kids to that over and over, and if you expose your kids to it, and they realise that this is a living God. This is not rules. This is not religion. This is not values. This is God. This is the Lord God Almighty. And I'll tell you, if our kids, if our friends, if our work colleagues, they have an encounter with the living God, they will be changed at a soul level forever. Guys, that's what we go for as parents. Does it make sense? Come on, stand to your feet. Let me pray for you. Why don't you just close your eyes for a minute? I, I wanna pray for anybody here that realises that maybe their spiritual life has been a little bit dry. Maybe as I've been talking today, you realise that's not actually who I've been for my friends at school, my co-workers, my uni friends. That is not who I've been to my kids either. I think it's easy when you're a parent to have a level of regret, but you're not a perfect parent. The good thing about that is you can always change. And I'll tell you this right now, it doesn't matter how old you are right now. Some of the most impacting change is when you see somebody in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s that has an encounter with God. And it's so dramatic that their kids, their adult kids with kids of their own say, what the heck happened to you? You say, I had an encounter with God. See, you see what I'm saying? Sometimes that's even more impacting so whatever's happened up to this point, maybe you haven't had that kind of passionate pursuit of God, but I'm telling you right now, the Lord can set you on fire. And if He sets you on fire, everyone around you will know, your kids will know, your grandkids will know, your friends will know, your work colleagues would know. And I just wanna pray for people today who want to be that person, the person that's on fire in the midst of those who aren't, so God can go to work. If I'm speaking to you right now and you wanna be that person to other people, just raise your hands right now. Father, I pray for every person with a hand raised right now that says, I wanna be the person that's on fire in the midst of those who aren't, so that they can see something of who you are. Father, I pray for those that have been spiritually dry. I pray for those that have not, maybe maybe they haven't had that life, but God, that can be their future. And I pray in Jesus' Name that you fill them fresh today. Fill them with the presence of your Spirit. Let them look again at the life that they live and realise that what's done is done, but what's ahead is ahead. And God, you can meet them in this moment and absolutely transform their present so that everyone they meet from this point forward would be touched by your presence. God, let us be people that are carriers of your presence, bringers of your presence into circumstances and situations that demand to be changed. And I pray God for parents, especially today, that they would inspire their kids with the kind of faith that drives story and presents encounter and sees life transformation happen at a soul level so that we're not just hoping that values will carry them through, but your presence and your spirit will. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.